In this episode, we're going to talk about the tech of Trek and ways that you can use it in your game. This is STA Engage. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, as always, Dr. RPG Jeff Harvey. In the last episode, we talked about uh, creating strange new worlds, new life, and new civilizations for your group to seek out and explore. If you missed that episode, go back and check it out. In this episode, we're going to talk about the fantastic Trek of the Star Trek, fantastic tech of the Star Trek universe, uh, and uh, and ways you can enhance your game using that tech uh, and keep your game from being all about technobabble. Speaking of babbling, before I get too much farther into my babbling rant here, uh, let me introduce my co-host, the Imbrogliode, it's only really Imbroglio, Michael Dismuke. Great, now I'm wasting time Googling this word while we're <laughs> running the show. Thanks a lot. <laughs> You're welcome. I had to find that one on there. So uh, the goal of this show is to help fans of Star Trek and of role-playing better engage with the Star Trek franchise and the Star Trek Adventures role-playing game, as well as the community for that game as uh, large. Uh, this show is brought to you by the letter F, the number 178, which is the number of TNG episodes there were, uh, and the support of people like you. So like, subscribe, share, and support us on Patreon. There's all kinds of cool stuff over there that I'm getting up to make it worth a little more worth time. Uh, keep the show going for the rest of season one and help us uh, create season two. Uh, if you uh, if you if you find more information, or you can find more information on the folks who sponsor this show uh, and help with the show on to the show together. I'm getting all kinds of messages and it's bumming me out um check us out it's all the doobly-doo uh let's get into the stuff for this this episode though since i'm all flustered now um but in order to in order to get you're into acting this topic, like you've been talking about techno babble or something right i my tech is babbling at me and it's confusing me and i don't like it so um uh, before we get too deep into this topic though let's uh let's get an expert on on, on sta and trek tech uh, let's welcome our special guest, writer, uh, and more than a little bit of a tech-savvy individual. Uh, the, uh, anyways, Aaron Palea, uh, welcome to the show. I have messed up this intro so bad. I'm sorry. Even <laughs> oh, his so name. Bad. Even his name. I think you need to rewrap. Palea, sorry. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. I even checked it with you before we started. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, I'm just that's flustered okay. now. Most people are unable to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, without multiple tries, so that's okay. Let's try that's it. Okay. Let's try it one more time, pa Aaron. <laughs> Paulier. Paulier. There yeah. we go. All good. I'm gonna fix this for you. Just give me a second. I'm just detecting a quantum breakdown in the graviton ray compactor, and now go. <laughs> there you go. You're good for the rest of the show. All okay. Right. We, we were we were bleeding in from an alternate reality where where my family's name was more badly mauled. <laughs> right. Um, all right. <laughs> First, let's get some context on on what you actually do in regards to STA, Aaron. Let's let's tell everybody what it is that you do. Um, well, I've done a lot of different things for STA. Generally, what I what I started doing was a lot of the technology and science portions of the core book, and, and let's be honest, the starships. I'm I'm kind of like the starship guy, and that's bled over into all the books that have been published. If, if there are starships there, generally I've been the one to write all the all the information about them, stat them out. Um, sometimes changes have to be made, you know, with what I've given, you know, hey, that uh, that uh, Krenum time ship is a little too powerful. Let's let's tone it down, Aaron. Okay, not a problem. 
Um, but I also so what I'm hearing is that people can curse you when other ships blow away their characters and player ship. They can all scream, Polly! Don't yeah, well, I, I I hope that I haven't destroyed too many starships out there. Um and then I also write some of the adventures. I've written a couple standalone adventures that have been published, um, as well as a few uh, adventures in the uh, the campaign for the Shackleton Expanse. Gotcha. Uh, that's stuff for the, the Living Campaign, or do you have stuff coming up yeah. in the new book as well? Uh, living Campaign, there's going to be some stuff. Well, I have stuff in the new Shackleton Expanse book that will be coming out. can't really talk about it sure. until it comes out, but uh, I'd be happy to do once that happens. Right. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of exciting stuff coming out when that book comes out. Um, what yeah. got you interested in working in this, with STA and and really working on tech trek, uh, trek tech in general? Um, I've been a trek fan my entire life. Uh, I, I've said to other people before that one of my earliest memories is sitting in the back seat of my parents' car at a drive-through theater watching uh, the motion picture on the big screen. Like I, I was like two and two years old and a few months. But I, I remember the wormhole scene and being really cold and thinking that it was really pretty, where they had the imbalance in their warp drive. Right. Um, and my parents were kind of Trek, Trek fans, so I grew up with it in the house. I felt it was a, uh, a great world to live in because everyone worked together. Um, and I found the technology fascinating because you could go to different planets and stars and meet new people and see beautiful things. So it really always stuck with me. And so while it wasn't the first game system that I wrote for, I kept doing a lot of stuff for myself on the side, playing around with ideas for Star Trek. Uh, I want to make my own tactical game. You know, I want to do this and that and this and that. And then I heard about Star Trek Adventures um, being put together and I submitted I don't know, 50 pages worth of material saying, look, I can do this. I have a lot of this stuff in my head. Um, am, do I have a place with you guys? I'd love to work work with you. Nice. And they said, sure, absolutely. So, I'll start putting together some stuff for, that, that will fit into what we're developing and go ahead. So glad you did. I know that um, my, my crew has a really enjoyed playing your modules, especially for those of us who are sciencey and really like to go off the, the deep end of, mm. of science, but grounded in reality. You're very well researched, I've learned. <laughs> it's, it, you know, your ideas are based off something somewhere in the universe, and yeah. that makes it really fun. So for any of you out there who really like uh, diving into true science fiction, uh, check, up, check up Aaron's modules are really good. I, I try. Um, my, my background, I did astrophysics as an undergrad and then did, uh, for my graduate work, I went into climate change studies. So I have a lot of passion for space, you know, kind of behind me. And I love putting real science into things. I like being able to say, hey, look, uh, Vulcan is a, a K-class star. It's orange. So Vulcans would see in a lower spectrum than, than humans. Therefore, they might not perceive the color purple like we do um but they might be able to see into the infrared a little more so which you know, is why that oprah winfrey movie flopped on vulcan <laughs> yeah yeah no and, and, they, and they're not fans of, of prints either because you, know, <laughs> you can't just get into purple rain when you don't understand it 
I have the plug. I have to plug in at this point that I have the privilege of you playing on my game as a chief science officer. And it definitely keeps everyone thinking and sometimes pause like, let's check that out. You know, so yeah, so, uh, I, I it, apologize it, when I get a little too technical, I guess, or, or when I when I start uh, breaking down a problem like, oh, is it are, are quasi electrons like, you know, uh, virtual particles? Is that what we're dealing with here? That was and a real like, question, uh, by the way, in our last game. Nice. Yeah, that was a real question. And, I, and, and you're like, no, no, it's not. Okay, okay. I wanted to make sure because I had a really cool idea, but it would revolve around having virtual particles. The yeah, I, my reply was just no. The idea of having the, the, the grounded science, though, I think, is extremely important for the Star Trek series. And yeah. it makes it a great way to do gaming. Star Trek doesn't really use real science, but they use a very, a very close approximation of science in a lot of ways. Um, let's get down to talking about the tech of Trek and I'm, that stuff's going to come up as we go along. Um, mm -hmm. Star Trek is definitely high tech sci-fi. It's not hard sci-fi like some people have thought about it being. Um, yeah. I, I know a lot of players and even GMs can get really intimidated by the established science of the show. Um, there's a lot of feeling that Star Trek is too smart and too real with the science. Uh, and it can be overwhelming for some people who don't speak nerd knees. Um, so what do you guys say to new players or new GMs who want to get into Star Trek but are nervous about their, their, their nerdy cred? My wife, for example, does not understand science. She is not a science people. Um, so she really was hesitant to get into this game. What do you guys do to, to, to get people more interested in the tech of Trek and understand it better? I would say that you don't need to be the uber science geek to start off with Trek. You, you don't need it. If somebody says there's a graviton pulse and you don't understand what a graviton pulse is, big deal. Um, in the narrative of the story, it should tell you what the graviton pulse does. Or if you're a GM, you should explain what a graviton pulse does. Um, because in the end, a character can not know that either and look it up. It's not like every character, is in, in, even in Starfleet, is going to be well-versed in particle physics. So don't worry if you don't know something as a gm one of yeah as a gm one of the things i do because because of that is i've noticed when i watch all the star trek episodes that they actually do something very nice for all the viewers mm -hmm. they use these words they they use this techno babble but then they create an illustration or comparison so for instance like that graviton pulse is moving at the speed of a river we're like a leaf on a river and we can't get out of there and then saying something like that all of a sudden let the players think oh how would a leaf get out of a river what are techno babble ways to get mm -hmm. us out of this thing so i do look for a lot of comparisons and descriptions that we do know in nature in order to make sense of the techno babble yeah and and star trek does a good job as well of when when there is something that is somewhat grounded in reality that you can fall back on them using the proper terminology in general, not all the time. And, you know, I, that bugs me when they don't use the proper terminology or, or, or say something that doesn't make sense. But like, if you're going to a, a, a red dwarf star, well, a red giant star that's going to go supernova, like in one of my, my adventures, in general, you know, you can say this star is huge, it's unstable. In general, you're going to know how far in advance that this star is going to explode by thousands and thousands of years. So there shouldn't be a problem, but there is. We don't understand. It's not acting correct. You know, it's not acting like it should be. So why? Why is that? You know, I don't need to go into like the explanation up front. The characters can explore the weird things that are deviating from what would be 
considered normal on their own time with the GM and I, I want to conclusions. Yeah, I also want to talk about the role of the player and being a good player in a situation like this. You could have some people, again, I'm going to say that Aaron is literally the most technical person I've ever played, but he's also a good, who's ever played my game, but he's also a good player in that, as opposed to saying that's not possible, it's mm -hmm. always yes and. Okay, that's possible under these circumstances. So I actually encourage players to be yes and. It's obviously happening. We don't understand it. Doesn't mean it's impossible, even though it's improbable, but yes and mm. this must be why. And that mm. attitude keeps the game pushing forward. So GMs may want to have a little coaching session with their team, their players and be like, we're yes and here. So it's happening. Uh -huh. Don't argue about it. Let's figure out why is it happening in this circumstance. Right. So there's a famous line in a well-known Trek spoof song that's bouncer graviton, graviton particle beam off a main deflector dish. That's the way we do things, lad. We're making as we wish. Mm. This mentality really gets very pervasive in pop culture's perceptions of Star Trek. Um, how do you guys keep things from devolving into technobabble solutions? Um, I mean, we talk about having the science mentality and whatnot mm. um, and, and letting it kind of flow through but how do you keep the tech in check i think it's pretty easy actually like as much as well as i can babble nonsense at least my nonsense well i hope my nonsense is generally founded in real science and if i start deviating too much from it it's not going to sound right and unless i have a script in front of me saying here's my techno babble you as a player or as even a writer you're generally not going to have like a whole paragraph filled with technobabble that's going to be hard to follow or understand. In general, you as a player or a writer, you might have a specific term that's involved, but within the context of the statement, you can kind of figure out why it's there. But, you know, if, if suddenly the grav plating breaks down on deck eight, you're not going to, you know, if you have a piece of technobabble that mentions like the graviton accelerator, you generally should say, well, it's a graviton accelerator. Gravitons have something to do with gravity. And an accelerator, well, acceleration also has to do with gravity. And if it deals with the grav plates not working, I guess that makes sense to fix it. But if you, you know, you're not going to have this like six sentence long piece of technobabble, really, as a player or as a GM, because you're not going to be comfortable saying that either. You're going to be constantly looking down at, a, you know, at a paper going, oh my God. How am I going to get this all out in the breath? You know, so yeah, to and, me, that's not realistic. Right. Yeah. And don't overcommit people to feel that they have to memorize something that was said before. Also, there's many mm -hmm. components to these complex machines. So we've seen it in Star Trek plenty of time where they have the same problem, but they fixed it with two different ways, two different tools. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, obviously this is a complex machinery, which they don't have, the whole show is not about. So, you know, just have fun with it. I mean, no one's, very few people are making a novel out of their RPG games, so they'll never be able to hold you to it. Right. Um, you know, and just, again, it's all about attitude, I think. So yeah. the, the Star Trek RPG covers a whole lot of time, right? So anything from duotronic enhancers on the original uh, OG Enterprise uh, to starships getting sick when their chefs cook. Um, so I have two questions, really. One is, what is your favorite bit of Star Trek tech? And on that, too, is how much of a role do you think tech really plays in your game this is largely more for for michael i know you run a game but aaron um, when you're playing a game how much does the tech really uh apply to the way you feel about the game or is it just a skin that uses it used to add flavor i okay so my favorite piece of tech in star trek is arguably the warp drive 
it's the simplest kind of all pervasive piece of technology in, in the universe. It gets you from A to B. It works under specific rules in general, again, in general. Um, and you can understand what it does. If you go to warp, you're going faster than light and you're going somewhere. You know, you, you have an engine that's providing the power and it, you know, our engine is broke. We don't go, we need to fix things. All right, the pack leads had it right. You don't have the warp drive, your story's going nowhere and you're stuck in one place. So from a narrative point of view and from me just as a person, if I had one piece of tech from Star Trek to do the warp drive, I'd want that because then you have the universe at your fingertips. Um, but how, how much is it a part of the narrative, at least to me? Now, Michael might have a different opinion. To me, it's important in the background, like in the back of my head. If I'm playing my ship's counselor character, technology doesn't much matter to him unless he's in uh, in his science officer role. And then obviously the sensors are a thing, but how it all works isn't important either, as long as it does. And I think I made a, a, a comment a few days ago that my character loves the computer because it just works. It's this incredibly complex piece of equipment that can do trillions upon trillions of calculations every second. It works faster than light. It can randomly produce intelligent beings, and yet it doesn't break down 99% of the time. That's magic. You know, they, they, there you are- like the, It sounds like you like the computer more than the warp drive. Yeah, well, <laughs> my character does. Now, to me, I love the warp drive, but the warp, warp drive also feeds into what makes computers so cool in Star Trek too, because computers can operate faster than light because of, symmetrical subspace fields, but that's going, right. Yeah, going back to what Aaron was saying about how I view it, um, I'm gonna take a, one piece from Gene Roddenberry's Writer's Bible and then the next piece from Stan Lee, my second favorite author of all time. Um, so, so Gene Roddenberry called the ship a character. Mm -hmm. So to me, and, and what's nice about the way the game is designed, it actually treats it as a character in the way it has the attributes and disciplines, right? So with that, that's the role it plays in my game. It's a character with certain superpowers and people need to know that it won't act alone. You actually have to tell it what to do. So, mm -hmm. so, so that's literally how I treat technology in my game. It is not the game. It just happens to be a character in this case. Then I go over to Stan Lee, who uh, made a point when he wrote is that the superpowers were the icing on the cake. It was the characters and the personality that drive the show. And we all know that Star Trek would be just as good on TV as it would at a stage play, play at a local playhouse. You could run a Star mm -hmm. Trek show on a stage play. And if you do it right, and you got the story and plot points, it's going to be engaging. So honestly, and um, Aaron knows it from the game, we're very, uh, personality driven game and everything else is just decoration technology is just decoration because we've played games where there's no technology they've been separated from it mm -hmm. it's still invigorating um and that's to me why i like rpg that's good what's your favorite piece of tech oh replicators for sure yeah. it would have to be replicators at this point yeah. yeah i mean i like the idea of warp drive i would like to go other places to get away from some of the places that i've been but if I had one thing I could have, it would be replicators. So, well, sure, replicators are great. Absolutely, I have no doubt. <laughs> well, they can make the thing is they can make warp drives. Warp drives well, can't yeah. make replicators. It's true. 
how do you guys generate your techno bubble for your game or, or just in general when you're playing as a character how do you create techno bubble and how as a gm do you create your techno bubble mike you can go first <laughs> i only wrote an article about it on continuing yeah. missions anybody who wants to type anybody who wants to become a, become an expert at techno babble and arm your players with some fun geekery Go to continuing missions, search techno babble, and there's an article I wrote where I actually put links to six different generators. Actually, seven if you include the picture that I have on the on the article. But I honestly um, use these six generators. Plus, if you play on Discord and you download the Majo bot, which one of my players designed and is now spreading around. Um, the Discord STA universe, you can just type in exclamation babble and it will generate babble mm. until you find something you like. So again, it's super easy. I'm not argumentative about it. Everyone who watches Star Trek pretty much has the ear for, mm, no, that doesn't apply in this situation. And these guys and girls who play the game, they just, they just make it really fun by doing, using these quick tools and we just keep the game moving forward. And we'll throw a link for that in the in the show notes as well, so everybody can get that. Uh, so you so you don't forget, because I think it's important to have Babel generators. Aaron, I just make it up. I mean, you know, if if I see the situation, I can say, okay, it's it's dealing with this specific subsystem. Here are some different things that have been said in the past, or here's a real science type jive into it, and I can I can go with the flow. You know, we were dealing with an adventure, dealing with a, a plasma corridor. So, of course, I was dealing with plasma turbulence or eddies or, or uh, you know, electron eddies. And you, you don't have to be a super scientist to do that. You can just kind of say, well, that sounds like a river and I can have rapids or I can have turbulence. Oh, turbulence. Okay, that sounds kind of technical. Plasma turbulence. That's technobabble. And it makes a lot of sense. To almost anyone that would hear it. Yeah. Well, if you think about honestly, if you think about it too, we all speak techno babble every day. When you're using your iPhone or modern computer technology, all the terms you're using are from somewhere else, whether it's downstream, data stream, upload, download, mm -hmm. those are trucking terms that all you know got adopted. So it's totally not unusual thinking that 400 years in the future, they'll be using terms that were generated now in order to describe future. Right. Um, yeah. Coming from a medical background myself, uh, I learned that everything is uh, prefixes and suffixes with with a, a root that goes around it. And that's how I do my tech bubble. So I, I do it up, uh, on my own. I kind of make it up as I go. And it's, you know, try to keep it, as you said before, try to keep it um, relevant to the topic at hand. So graviton particle beams for gravity related things or chronotons for time related oh. things. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I try to add, you know, what sounds like a good prefix and a, sound, a good suffix. And it really puts everything together well, I think. So um, do you guys use any outside resources for your tech? Like I personally have the old TNG and DS9 tech manuals. I have a bunch of old RPG supplements going back to FASA and uh, Last Unicorn Games, Decipher, and of course I have everything currently for uh, STA. Um, I also use the STACD website, ACTD website, um, which I don't, I don't remember what it stands for, but I like their stuff. Um, I use a lot of Star Trek Theurgy um, and other play-by-publisher, play-by-host games. Um, the now ancient Starship creator by Simon and Schuster was one of the ones I got my cut my teeth on originally. The Haze, oh, yeah, the Haze manuals for Klingon ships. I love that because I also work on cars a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have that one, but I want it. Um, other than other than watching the shows, uh, 
what codifies the tech of Trek for you in your game and when you're writing adventures? Besides the shows, I would say the old Starfleet technical manual, you know, the with the Franz Joseph stuff, I loved that as a kid and I, I ate that over and over and over. That was like a fine piece to me. But the the TNG technical manual, um, I, I adore for TNG era type stuff. Um, it really does work well to understand what what you're trying to do in that era. If, if you do have a technical issue, you can go, okay, well, sensors are like this. It doesn't matter if it's referencing the galaxy class in general, Starfleet's all going to have stuff that's similar or sound similar to what's listed in there. Um, the DS9 technical manual is okay. Uh, I wouldn't say it's as useful as the TNG one. No. That, that's just my opinion. I might That might not be popular. But, I completely um, agree with you. I think the TNG manual is uh, is an outstanding resource for, for writer nerds. And it is. The Star Charts book. Um, I love that. Just, just to give you a good idea of where everything is. Um, so if my adventures reference a star or something that I write references a star or whatever, it's because it's in the star charts at X, Y, or Z. It also puts a really good scale on the Federation so you, so you understand why the Federation is as big as it is. And it's usually not as big as what people tend to think it is. People tend to think that one quote from ES9 that Cisco had of it being 8,000 light years. Well, it's not It's not 8,000 light years wide. That's for sure. Um, think of it more like 8,000 cubic light years or something like that. Um, because a ship that is traveling very, very quickly um, would take still years to get across 8,000 light years. So, I mean, look at Voyager, right? How, how long they said it would take to get home and divide Everything. years by, yeah. Yeah, all the references you mentioned, I use. Um, in addition, I like I like Seventh Sanctum. Most people are familiar with Seventh Sanctum, which has a bunch of techno babble generators just for that. Um, of course, all the books you mentioned about referencing the science of Star Trek. But another thing I really like to do is use Wikipedia or space.com. And I go to those and what I'll do is maybe they'll have a new science out there or it could be National Geographic will have a new animal and they're describing what it does. And I start thinking biomimetically. I'm like, mm, how could that be reverse engineered into a story? This mm -hmm. actual science of how this animal works or this nature, natural thing works. And now let me blow it up to cosmic and alien scale. Yeah. And I do that because then if people are like, that's impossible. It's like, well, actually, no, the yellow-bellied whippersnapper does it in South America. You know, I like stuff like that. Um, and that's what, you know, Star Trek has been known for doing too, is taking right. modern science and then blowing it up to that sci-fi um, yeah, level. So Wikipedia is one of my best friends. We talk a little bit about that in the first contact episode. Um, you guys want to go back and check that one out. I, um, I also agree like that, I, all of those things. And, um, I forgot what was going with that. So um, what do you guys choose to, how do you guys choose to stat your ships? Like what criteria are you using when you're statting out your ships? Well, some of it is fairly firm, but uh, okay. So when we, when I started doing this, like with the, the original core, a lot of it was very vague. Okay. Because we knew that we had to have stats. We also wanted to base it. We wanted to have like a baseline. So what do you assume the baseline of a starship would be in Star Trek? Uh, and, and think about all areas. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I personally say uh, the most basic ship I can think of is probably the Miranda, most middle of the road oh, yeah. ship. Miranda. Um, or Nebula, maybe. To us, it was, sure. well, to me, it was the original TOS Connie. That's like the baseline, okay? So you know, basically, the, you know a lot about that ship. You also know about, how, you know, how powerful it was in different, different, you know, sure. departments and all that. And then how does that progress through the movies? Okay, so you know how, how much a refit should give you in a stat bump. All right, no problem. So it refits every 10 years. It gives you a stat bump every 10 years, blah, blah, blah. The Miranda then, well, what's different about the Miranda? Now, in comparison to the Connie. And then you just keep going from there and you build it out and then you start going, well, does that still hold fairly true with the NX class and the galaxy? And then you don't just have the starting point. You have a line now with three points that you can start going, oh, okay, I'm going to move it. And now I've statted out the progression of what a cruiser is. Sure. Time. I'm way lazier. I'm way lazier. I just use all the books that... Uh, Modifius produces. Well, yeah, like, oh, hey, I'm this, talking ship, about... this ship is like that. <laughs> but I'm talking about like how we develop the ships. At right, that's a great. Sure. That's great. I didn't know you did it like that. That's awesome. Yeah, and then I know that I've I've talked with people online about scaling with ships. Like how do how do you do that? Well, it it seems like a lot of people think that it's just based on like how big the ship is, and that's not the case. Like a lot of it, and this is where it st- stops going from this like trend line to more of like a gut type reaction because some starships are, let's say there's lots of starships in the the game that are scale three, but some are a lot smaller than other scale three ships. Well, why? It's kind of a gut reaction of how resilient that ship is. You know, is is a Nova class as resilient as Cheyenne? Sure. Or, you know, a Hermes class from from TOS. No, it's not, but they're all the same scale. Well, why? And that's where you have to start kind of playing this mind game with yourself. Where, you know, the right. ship has this role. It has a crew that's kind of dedicated to this. It has these kind of perks that you can kind of think of. Oh, okay. I guess it works as a scale three or four. You and I talked a little bit about this uh, over Discord, but uh, is there any chance that we might someday see a book that's sort of similar to the Stardock book that was created by the legendary Steve Long uh, near the end of the Fall of Last Nuclear Games? I mean, obviously, that book is super duper overkill, um, but Decipher yeah. also created a sort of a system on how they create their ships, how how players could build ships in their in their setting to make them kind of reasonably fall along the lines of what the ships are. I would say a book like that, absolutely not. Like if they, they, there just isn't that much detail uh, for building starships in SDA. You know, you don't have that level of detail where every every weapon dependent upon its arc has a different kind of stat. Right. Or what what exactly that warp nacelle does. Now, if you wanted that, you know, if if every, if the player base really wanted that, sure, I can do that. That's that's. That's not really that difficult, but is it meaningful to the game that STA is? Not, not really. Um, and if you want to have a Starship creator, I think people have pretty much been able to reverse engineer how Starships are statted out in the game. Sure. 
Um, and I, I, I gave more hints on, on that, like the baseline of the Connie and then fitting it to the NX and Galaxy and blah, blah, blah. But um, if you want to just build a ship, find a ship that's in the similar era. What is your ship different? Why is it different than that ship? And then change the stats. Mm -hmm. Or how I wrote about the Frankenfleet uh, that's after Wolf 359. Like, hey, that actually is kind of like building your own ship class in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's how I do it, is I, I tend to find a ship that's very similar to what I want. So when I built Lexington-class starship, which is uh, from the Klingon Academy role-playing uh, computer game, uh, mm -hmm. never been seen anywhere else as far as I'm aware of, but I created that ship for my Lexington game that I'm running, and I just took an Excelsior because it's 30, 40 years later. Here you go. It's a smaller version. It's, it's the smaller ship. It's the Excelsior stats. Here you go. Okay. So that's what was, I did. Was, was the Lexington-class from that game kind of a carrier? Or am I am I misremembering? That? I don't remember very much. I played it. I, I run it as a um, kind of a frontline cruiser, sort of a sort okay. of a replacement for the Connies. So okay. Um, so it would fit so a little smaller than the than the Excelsior. So a scale four instead of five. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly what I did. Is a scale four. Um, and it's the players have put a lot of points to it now, so I couldn't tell what the original stats were. But it's uh, I liked that <laughs> ship. I, I very much enjoyed that ship. Um, Insert average. Guy Mike's facial expression here. <laughs> uh, Starship combat can be one of those really rules specific and and let's be honest, it's kind of a bog. It can kind of bog down the game a little bit sometimes. Um, character level combat is too, but uh, if a GM isn't careful, and if you are careful, you can really keep things moving. Um, Michael, how do you deal with combat in STA? How do you keep it flowing? And and Aaron, from a writer's perspective, uh, how do you handle a balance of rich combat rules and story pacing? Mm. So for me, um, very carefully, I'm going to say, because it's really about checking the rhythm in the room or in the virtual room nowadays. Um, Star Trek has never been about amazing Star Wars space battles, mm -hmm. despite what we're seeing in Discovery and Picard right now. Um, it, it, we know that. And in fact, it's kind of when my nephews watch it, they're like, Really? They didn't even move. They didn't even dodge. They just took the hit from the clean. You know, it's like they're just sitting there shooting at each other. So yeah, but there's something to that in Star Trek. There's kind of assumed technology, assumed range, assumed spatial movement, because what it's really about is watching the character's professionalism and watching them bring amazing solutions in a time crunch. Now, we know that STA wrote this huge fleet battle scenario too. Um, that is super difficult to run. We have some tools. I have, we've have some tools to make it easier on continuing mission for people. Be very careful with that. I have run an amazing fleet battle. You need a lot of visuals. And um, we have some articles about some homebrew ideas to make it fun. Some people aren't into that. Ours was amazingly wonderful however it exhausted everyone and i said this is why you only can do this once or twice per season in our game because it's just so much to run um and again it was more focused on the characters than the actual did that hit really hit it, it was just more story based right so um be careful with it we have some ideas on continuing mission about how to how to make it fun. i will say i'm not hit us up on facebook right. questions I will say on, on the idea of the big space battles thing, you didn't really see them until late DS9. And I think the episodes you see them in DS9 are some of the weaker episodes in the series. So I agree True. with you. Um, Aaron, how do you, from writer's perspective, how do you handle the balance of rich combat rules and story pacing for, for the GM staff? So if you look at my 
adventures overall. I think you would tend to see there being very few opportunities for Star Trek combat. And the reason for that is that in Star Trek, you generally don't see starship combat. Uh, now and then it happens. And when it does happen, it should be meaningful to the story and the characters themselves. Can I add to that real quick? I, I, I want to add why I think this makes sense in Star War, in Star Trek. Star Wars is so resource heavy. The battles they have, you'd have to drain planets to rebuild these ships. And I, how, I have trouble believing there's any alien culture out there that would be so happy to hurl phasers and photon torpedoes at the cost it takes to develop this equipment. So Star Trek to me actually seems more realistic like what would happen people would be very slow to start warring in space because you're stuck, you're screwed. You're not going to get another ship easily. Yeah. yeah. But I, I always look to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, as like an example of what starship combat should be. And it's every single hit, every time a phaser hits the Enter Enterprise or Reliant, it means something. There's a character that is moved from one place to another. Scotty's nephew is killed. Uh, Kirk has to encounter death in front of him and see one of his good friends mourning immediately because of this guy. Um, he might not escape, and Spock sacrifices himself after the mains go offline when the warp cores wreck, right? If you have combat, it shouldn't really matter what you're facing. And I let me finish the entire statement. It shouldn't really matter what you're facing as long as the characters are being moved forward in their story or the story is moving forward. Absolutely. That being said, it, when you're writing an adventure, there's all, you have to write it with the mindset that there will be players that really want to have a shootout in space. And that this kind of thing does happen in games because in general, you're not going to want to have a, a game where you do nothing except cerebrally talk about issues all the time right mm -hmm. you, you want to have a little bit of action in your games. i'm going back to gene roddenberry though again the ship is yeah. a character yes and star trek is not a murder hobo game no, so that includes not murder hoboing ships right i've always yeah. looked at it like uh uh, if wagon if, if if star trek's characters development is supposed to be wagon train to the stars then i've always thought that and i think this has been used before too uh that the starship combat is dos boot um, the old uh, yeah. the old submarine movie and that's actually what i really liked about star trek 2 is that submarine warfare mm -hmm. mentality um, yes. it's, it's hard to do really effectively in a game but i think when you get it right it makes for a really compelling uh so enrichment yeah in an adventure you generally don't want to have your opponent's starship that you might be squaring off against being that unbalanced unless it's the borg but the borg are like the special case um, I had to write all the Borg ships for uh, Delta Quadrant book. And I was starting to worry halfway through writing it that I'm making the Borg way too scary. And then I had, I stopped and said, wait a second. The, the Borg should be terrible. The, the Borg are the Borg. <laughs> yeah, they, I shouldn't hold back. I should say, yeah, these things will kill you if you actually get into a fight with them. Right. And it's because, yeah, here, here's the big bad. Here's, here's just a regular cube. If you want to get into a fight with that, A, what's wrong with you? I mean, exactly. right no 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 starfleet character should ever go yeah let's go let's go shoot up the board and see what happens let's see if we can fight them and, and, and rip off some um, implants um 
it's more of like we should be terrified of these things because if we actually do get into a shootout with them, we'll die. Yeah, somebody on the uh, on the Star Trek Command Discord server called them a, a force of nature. I don't remember who said yeah, it, but I, I, I completely agree. I think agree. I said that on that Discord was yep. the Borg should be considered a force of nature. Yep. You, the only way you will defeat nature is by trying to outsmart it, and even then, it only buys you time. Yep, technology can only take you so far. When the Borg themselves, the embodiment of technology, will just make your technology useless yeah i'm scared <laughs> all right uh we are running out of time if you have anything else you want to talk about real quick we can get in there otherwise i'm gonna i'll wrap things up here all right look forward to the Jackleton expanse book guys yeah when i'm looking forward to that uh, one there's gonna be some good technobabble in it <laughs> and i think and i want to invite people again um when they have questions about tech and and the rules go onto the Facebook page. We're privileged to be able to have, I represent of course the fan community here and, and we're privileged to be able to ask these questions and get answers from Aaron and Nathan and Jim and a lot of the other writers. And they respond in less than an hour, much less 24 hours. So if you're preparing for a game, hit up our Facebook page, join continuing missions too. Yep. Yeah, We're all happy to talk. We're all happy to answer questions, you know, and, it's it's us having a chance to geek out with with other people that want to geek out about the same stuff we do so yeah i absolutely agree i couldn't say it any better um as one final thought for tech in trek uh star trek is a rich world full of wonderful and innovative and increasingly actually common technologies things that we have now like cell phones fax machine 3d printers tablets uh to the awesome tech that was created that is being created uh in a post scarcity setting uh things like replicators and warp technology um look back at episode five and six for for more ideas and stuff that we talked about with that but there's a lot of amazing shiny objects that can distract you from what really makes star trek so compelling for these last 50 plus years that it's been on the air and that's as we've said many times in this episode the characters and the stories uh, it's a lot of fun to crosswire uh the phase coupler uh, and routing power through the ODN conduits is a last-ditch last effort to re-randomize the, uh, the neutrino spin of a chronoton build-up shifts, all blah, blah, takes you back to the Bell Riots, I don't know. Um, but tech is not a replacement for story or personal drama ever. Uh, if you, uh, it can be used to, to start the ticking clock, which is a very important aspect in storytelling. Um, it can complicate your your story beats or create brick walls as michael calls them and even uh it can create solutions to complex problems that are beyond the understanding of the players but not necessarily the understanding of the characters um but it's just set dressing right it's flavor that lets us know that we're eating at cisco's or quarks and not the moss ice's cantina or the venusville bar from total recall um don't let the tech of Trek get in the way of your story. Use it to sprinkle in the Star Trek flavor, but uh, try not to let yourself ever get too hung up on the babble or the glitz and glamour of the real science behind Star Trek or the real quote unquote science, as I'm sure Neil deGrasse Tyson would say. Um, you should never, ever, ever, ever be uh having tech be more important than the characters or the story that your your characters get to uh get to experience or the choices the characters get to make um so that's my thought to, be there to, to prop up the characters in the story yeah absolutely, absolutely. 
So, and on that note, I think we're going to call it a wrap. If you want to learn more about Aaron, uh, Michael has a great one-on-one interview from several years ago over on continuingmissionsstacom uh, There'll be a link in the show notes for that as well. Uh, next he time. He also does our Science Academy. I have to mention that. Aaron writes a Science Academy series on continuing missions. We'll put a link to that too. Yeah. I didn't actually know that. So, um, Yeah, there's, there's some articles about the transporter murder box, uh, <laughs> how you can use it in your game. Uh, what impulse drive is and how other species can travel around at sublight or even warp speeds. Right. Uh, So next time on STA Engage, we're going to do a much anticipated topic that we've talked about a lot on the show. Uh, We've, we've talked a lot about how to be a better GM and how to use the the setting to your advantage. But one thing that we don't talk so much about is, uh, and we will cover on the next one is how to be a better player for the game. Uh, in general so stay tuned next time for the naked now or the montgomery scott the full that should have been the full montgomery scott my bad um until then if you like what you hear here and you want to help the show in any way uh, you know you can if you like what we're doing here i'll just share this with one other person who might like this episode or like any of the episodes we've done so far uh check us out on facebook uh twitter twitch uh we're up on continuingmissionsta.com uh reddit we're everywhere um check out sta uh star trek check out continuing missions sta.com it's a hard name to say sometimes um there's a lot of really good stuff over there that you guys can can find out um until next time i am your host dr rpg jeff harvey on behalf of myself my co my co-host michael dismuke my inability to speak um our special guest aaron uh paulier his cat who was rolling around in the background quite a bit uh, yeah sorry that's Copernicus. Yeah. <laughs> Copernicus. Love it. Uh, isn't that Doc Brown's dog's name from it, from the 1950s? Yes. Yeah. There you go. I just love the fact that you babbled your way through the whole techno babble episode. I know. It has just been, it's been an abysmal episode for me. And, but I, right. and I held my, and I held my tongue. And I held my tongue. <laughs> it was a clean episode. Despite, you know. <laughs> All right. Uh, everyone who works behind the scenes here, I, I hope you guys have a good and enjoy the show. Uh, I'm out. Bye bye. Thank you.